Coming up, the Sports Dead Zone Part 1 has arrived. What is there to discuss? A baseball lockout that could potentially postpone the start of the regular season. A look at the NBA's quote-unquote second half. A return to the ice for a former Sabre and a milestone for an all-time great Penguin. Former head coach Brian Flores has resurfaced in a role and address that may not surprise you. Jawan Howard's possible future in MMA. Glad you stopped by to show your favorite little podcast some love. I'll have the deets on all that's happening. But first, this message. What is happening, my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits on this President's Monday, a holiday as we now make the transition to get past these final few weeks, the brutal winter months that still lie ahead, but I'll be sure to warm the mind, spirit, and soul as I navigate you through the sports landscape as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 239 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It's a Monday, February the 21st in the year of our Lord, 2022. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. We're almost two-thirds into an NBA season, but the second half is near as the All-Star break in Cleveland came and went over the weekend. I'll dribble through the association to bring you up to speed on what's happening on the hardwood, including a big loss for the best team in the NBA. As far as the college hardwood goes, Juwan Howard's Michigan team hasn't had the year they experienced a year ago, but his teams won't go down without a fight. And that's in a literal sense. I'll share what's taking place in college basketball, not only that, but also what should Juwan Howard get and expect over these last few weeks of the season as a suspension looms. He's made it all the way back, people. I've talked about him last summer, and here it is. Former Buffalo Sabre Jack Eichel making his debut at the Vegas Golden Knights this past week, scoring his first goal yesterday in a win over San Jose. But with the Vegas Golden Knights trying to make a run back to a Stanley Cup final as they did four years ago, can this acquisition, can he, after being out for over a year, 
put his team and club over the top. Plus, Sid the Kid making history as he nets a big milestone early this week. I'll have a complete analysis on what's going on as far as the ice goes. And then, the NFL. That's right. Football season may be done, but football isn't done with us. As Brian Flores is back in the news. And no, not for his recent lawsuit versus the NFL. But he's found employment in a destination that shouldn't surprise you. And I also talk about college football as the playoff scenario will stay the same over the next few years. I'll have all of that, including my hero and zero of the week. It has arrived. It could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. After investing in an NFL season that had a thrilling final few weeks of a postseason culminating in the Rams winning the Super Bowl last Sunday, there are some that could finally exhale, take a step back in what was a drama-filled January, minus the wildcard round, of course, and into February, Or, once the confetti came down at SoFi Stadium, knowing that the football season has come to an end, your sports heart now has a significant void because you haven't gotten into the NBA or NHL seasons to date. College basketball just isn't what it once was or what it used to be. And baseball, that's right, baseball, remember that sport? Isn't on most people's radar due to the fact that pitchers and catchers who were supposed to report last week and with regular players on deck for today haven't come to an agreement to at least think about spring or have your sights set on some exhibition games that would have started this coming weekend. Welcome, guys and gals, to the Sports Dead Zone Part 1. At least we won't have to wait about five weeks because March Madness will commence exactly three weeks from tomorrow with the playing games that uh, start off the four games that will precede the tournament starting actually on St. Patrick's Day. So boy, talk about a day where everybody's going to go out, drink. I believe the parade will take place this year, even with the COVID cases going down and still the threat of whatever it is that's out there has at least quieted down for the most part. But with college basketball on the horizon and looking at this time period as the first slow period of the sports calendar, Because beside the two fall and winter sports that are in action and obviously the college circuit and basketball, there isn't much going on that will have your sports cup runneth over. And as we know, the real action comes back in April where we'll have the following, which is my favorite month of the year. The NFL Draft, the Masters, the NHL and NBA Playoffs, the National Championship in College Basketball, Final Four, if you will, and of course, the opening of the baseball season which at the current moment could be a pipe dream based on the actions of the players and owners, an agreement that is nowhere in sight. And this is where I'm going to kick off the podcast because as of this recording, maybe right this very second, the players and owners will reconvene or maybe have convened after their last meeting on Thursday, which lasted all but 15 minutes. So to think, That if you were at work and you decided to step out or get some coffee or just take a breather, that probably lasted longer than the meeting the other day because the players and owners just stormed out, nothing in tow, not an agreement to be at least hang your hat on. And as we all know, we are now a week from tomorrow, from March 1st, a lot of the reports have come out from the owner's side to say that if an agreement isn't set in stone 
by February 28th, or at least proposed. Because remember, they do not have to sign on the dotted line. I understand between these two entities, you cannot have a handshake deal and think that everything is going to be copacetic because they're going to have to have something that's close to set in stone to know that if they want to start on March 31st, the beginning of the baseball season, they have to have everything pretty much all ducks in a row, eyes dotted, and just about every T crossed. And again, it's not as if they have to hammer out this deal and have signatures across a million documents and then slam your briefcases down and out of the room you go, high-fiving left and right, knowing that you're going to have a baseball season. Doesn't have to get to that point, but they do have to have an agreement, you would think, by this time next week. And we all know what the stickling points are. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it ad infinitum. It all boils down to the manipulated service time where the players, they want to be, if it's going to be six years, and of course they want it less, they want five, but whether they start on opening day or whether they start May 15th, that's where the clock begins. Not two weeks into a regular season where their clock starts the beginning of the next year because how the owners look at it, it has to be a full 162-game season in order for their free agency to begin, which would be six years down the road. And we know the players don't want to have the six years. They want to have five years and they want to cut that service time, which has usually been manipulated over the last few years. For example, the Cubs' Chris Bryant back in 2015. The other thing is the salary arbitration because the way that it's formatted now with the six years that the first three years of that contract pretty much stays at an entry level threshold and then years four, five, and six, that's where the arbitration years kick in and then the salaries pretty much go through the roof to where you're getting record number salaries from let's say a player that made two million and now he's going to make an excess over 20 million. So the owners aren't trying to hear about that significant jump when it comes to salaries. And then obviously two years after that, you're going to have the guy make his big payday. We understand the superstar is going to get their money, i.e. Juan Soto, and I'll get to him in a little bit. But that is also another bone of contention between the owners and players on whether or not salary arbitration can be finagled to where both sides will be happy. And then lastly is the competitive balance tax, which is, i.e., the luxury tax. We all know that the players do not want a salary cap. And we've seen in the other sports, as I've said, time after time after time, it works for all the other sports. In the NFL, you had the Cincinnati Bengals in a Super Bowl. That's like saying you may have a possibility of a World Series between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Kansas City Royals. And I get it that the Royals at least have been in the World Series within the last 10 years. But ever since they won that World Series, they are nowhere to be found on the baseball map. So the competitive balance in baseball, which there is none at the moment, but by having this tax, and we get it, we know that the big market teams are going to be the ones that are front and center here. Both New York teams, L.A., The Dodgers, that is, not the Angels. Although they have spent money over the years. But the Red Sox, even the Phillies, teams like that, that you know they're going to go all in when it comes to trying to get the best players. And the reason why 
the players don't want to have a salary cap either is because you could say goodbye to the 300 to $350 million deal as we've seen here over the last few years, i.e. Francisco Lindor, i.e. Fernando Tatis, you can go on down the line. And with that tax, it means that the threshold will go up year by year, but at the same time, it also prevents teams to try not to spend over that tax If you're Steve Cohen, you know that's not going to even be an issue. But the sport doesn't want to have that, and particularly the players, because they know that the salary cap will just be right around the corner when it comes to that competitive balance tax. So those are the three things that, if they're not hammered out by a week from today, the start of the baseball season will not happen. As it is, spring training has been pushed to March 5th, And I understand that the players, they look at spring training almost as a bore because they would have to report in a regular year. Today would have been the players' first foray into spring training. The pitches and catches would have been the week before. And then with the spring training games taking place this coming weekend, too many at-bats, too many days in the hot Florida sun, too many times repetitively going through the fundamentals whether it's on the base paths, whether it's just fielding drills. Of course, the players don't have to deal with that anymore. And how they look at it is is that if they start March 5th or if they start even later, the better. And who knows if by this time next week, whether they do have an agreement in place, whether there'll be a spring training at all. As far as the big picture goes, I've said it all along, there's going to be an agreement. We just don't know when. Now, I'm sure they're going to roll up their sleeves and try to get a meeting of the minds here today, and I believe it's taking place here in New York. And who knows if they're going to be round the clock at this point or if it's going to be another one of those 20-minute meetings where each side is going to be ready to strangle one another because they just can't seem to be on the same page when it comes to those three things that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Now, the one thing that we could possibly hang our hat on is that there will be baseball at some point because I would think that the owners and the players know, more so the owners, and we could talk about them missing out in the gate in April into the month, deeper into the month, because especially if you're in the Northeast, you're going to have a lot of rainouts, you're going to have a lot of cold weather games, and how they look at it is you're not going to have sellout crowds other than opening day. You're going to have very sparse crowds throughout the month, maybe even into May for that matter. But you would think, considering the climate, considering everything that has transpired, especially in baseball over the last two years, a 60-game season, they had the eight teams in each league, the playoffs, the DH, the seven-inning doubleheaders, the runner on second in the 10th inning, for all intents and purposes, a universal DH, which may be part of the mix moving forward. Once they get this agreement, finally signed, sealed, and delivered. All that aside, you would think that they'd want to not only be able to start a season off fresh where they won't even have to worry about any of those things. Those things will be far in their rearview mirror. But that this sport, and this is the bigger and I think the gigantic situation that looms and cast that dark cloud over baseball is that with the kumbaya 
with the finally we got it done baseball is back we're going to start on time we're going to start on April 7th which still wouldn't be great because you're going to alienate and lose out on the few baseball fans that you have left yours truly not included because you know I'll be here but even with all that being said it's a situation where the game is still the same the game hasn't changed and what I mean by that is that you're still going to have three to three and a half hour baseball games. You're still going to have batters taking 20 minutes in the batter's box between every pitch, fixing the gloves, kicking their spikes with the bottom of the, or the top of the baseball bat, taking forever to get situated in the batter's box. Not only that, the shifts, the analytics, the 900 pitching changes, that's the problem in the sport. Yes, we can look at greed. Yes, we can look at the salaries. Yes, we can look at the owners, all of it. And rightfully so. But even if everything, if they come out with a deal in the next 10 minutes, they're still not making any changes to the game. And that's what's hurting amongst the fans, even like myself, despite the fact that I'll watch. But these games are interminable. These games take forever. And I get it. Come October, when these World Series games starts at 8.30 and they're finishing after midnight and oh, it's just you're bleary-eyed and you're sick of it and you're wondering what the hell's going on, but you're going to watch. But for April, May, June, all right, maybe July, August, not so much because it's summertime, you're outdoors, you're having beers. It doesn't matter if the game takes 15 hours at that point. But the song is going to remain the same here. The sport still has to look from within to make these subtle changes in order for the game to be better. Cut down the pitching changes. Stop it with the stupid analytics with the shifts and launch angles and exit velocity. We understand it's here to stay. It's not going to go anywhere. It's going to take an organization, in order for this to shift, no pun intended, in order for this to shift, there's going to be an organization that's going to maybe not 100% scrap that, but if there's a team that let's say has a lot of speed, or doesn't have a lot of power. Where they have to supplement their offense in different ways. Where they may have a lot of speed. Where they could be the 85 Cardinals. To go back into yesteryear. Where you have guys like Vince Coleman. Willie McGee. Tommy Herr. Ozzie Smith. That they relied more on run production. Than the typical walk. Hit batsman. Yeah maybe a single. And then a grand slam homer. Because that's what baseball is today. It's a pinball machine. You rarely get that offense that's going to manufacture runs. That yes, you may get the guy, the leadoff who gets on base, steals second, the catcher throws the ball to the outfield, the runner's on third, sacrifice fly, one nothing. Or that same instance, gets the first on a walk or a hit, steals second, moves him over to third on a ground ball to the right side of the infield, sack fly, one nothing. Or hit and run, or sacrifices, or squeeze plays, dare I say. That style of baseball is long gone. And until there's an organization that is going to, of course, incorporate analytics, but say, here are our strengths. We have a lot of speed. We have very little power. We're going to utilize our offense as best as possible, and it would also help in the ballpark that they're in. Granted that pretty much every ballpark is a bandbox. But until we see that style change, until we see that shift Until we see just a pretty much almost, dare I say, revolutionary brand of baseball 
which shouldn't be revolutionary because we've seen this in the past. My example being the 85 Cardinals. But until we see that, it's going to be the same sport. It's not going to change. And that's the sad state of affairs. As much as we could talk about the barking, the quibbling, the just out-and-out disgust and hatred between the players and owners, but if they're not going to do anything to the game, what good is it going to be? That's the problem I have, even if they were to come to an agreement at some point here, whether it be today, tomorrow, by the 28th, or who knows, March 28th. And let me go to Juan Soto real quick because last week I know he had stated that he was offered $350 million before the lockout. I believe over 13 years, $27 million a year. And for those who are wondering, oh, geez, here are the owners crying foul over we're broke, we can't afford these high salaries, et cetera, et cetera. Well, for those who aren't paying attention, of course a guy like Juan Soto is going to get that money. Haven't you seen what's gone on over the last few years when it's come to these young players? I just mentioned two before, and granted that Lindor is 28 years old, so it's not as if he's 21, 22, a la Fernando Tatis. But look at what Wander Franco got from the Tampa Bay Rays. 20 years old, and he got $223 million. I believe it's 180, but with incentives, etc., it's $223 million. We saw what Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Mookie Betts, granted they were all in their mid-20s. But these are the players that are going to get these long-term contracts. It's the player that has the resume or the stats on the back of the baseball card, but is 31, 32 years old to where they want the big money. And yes, they're going to be rewarded handsomely for past performance. But as we all know, eight, 10-year deal at 32 is curtains for an organization that just can't eat that contract come year six, year seven, year eight. And that's the problem. But with Juan Soto and with him getting that offer, now he did admit it and he tiptoed around it as to why he didn't sign it. Obviously his agent is Scott Boris. They're going to try to make him the first $500 million man. And as wonderful of an offensive player that Juan Soto is, He is not worth $500 million. He's not a good outfielder. Yes, we understand the plate discipline, the on-base, the walks, power, everything. Understood. But for him to be the richest guy in baseball, even over Mike Trout, that one will be tough to swallow. And that's not the knock Soto. Let him earn whatever. We get it. Baseball, the career is fleeting. If he can get $500 million, God bless him. I'm not going to hate him for it. It's the system. But that's the same system that a lot of people want to criticize. But the young player is going to get paid. It's the utility player. It's the guy that's been in the major leagues for about 8 to 10 years that maybe made anywhere between 5 to $8 million a year and he's looking to get paid 15 to 20 And the owners and general managers are going to say, uh-uh. If you're not box office, if you're not going to be a face of the franchise, there's no way you're going to get that big time money. And before you get crazy, oh, what about Max Scherzer? He's 37 years old. He got a $130 million contract, but he's only signed for three years. And I understand $43 million a year, exorbitant. I get it. And he has an opt-out after two, but that's the whole thing. It's three years. 
I could see if Steve Cohen was crazy enough to sign him to a six or seven year deal at 37 years of age, then you really have to scrap the system. But that's what we have here. This is baseball 2022 on all facets, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's in the front offices, whether it's the economics, and obviously what's on the field. Sadly, in a big giant nutshell, it is a disaster. And sadly, for a boy like myself who loved this, this was my first love, baseball, I can't let it go. I can't divorce it. There may be a day where I will. There may be a day that I'm sick of it. That baseball, as much as it's not even a fraction, it's a shadow of its old self. But when you invest almost 50 years in watching the sport, how can you just say goodbye? But I will say this. It is imploding by the second on everything I just mentioned. And we just hope that the sport gets a clue at some point. I understand it's not going to happen tonight, tomorrow, next month, next year, maybe not even until the next decade. But I hope the ball starts rolling to know that baseball, with all of its rich tradition and history, is becoming an afterthought as far as the fabric and landscape when it comes to the sports universe. And I hope that they're paying attention. I'll just leave it at that. A couple of other quickies. I know last week you had Eric Kay, who was sentenced to 20 years minimum in the death of the former Angel pitcher, Tyler Skaggs. We know that story. It's just terrible all around. And because of Texas law, and I hate to say this, I mean, Texas might as well be another country. And I, get, I may get some backlash on that, but if you've been reading the tea leaves and following what's going on in that state over the last year plus, I mean, I, <laughs> I can't even put it to words. And me, I'm not trying to be political here because I can't stand either side. I'd rather just play it right down the middle. But considering the Texas law, if this was in California or if this was in any other state, maybe even New York, not to say that Eric Cade does not deserve to be punished, but 20 years minimum? Where maybe in another state he would have got five years or eight years. And again, I could see if Eric Kay was the main man when it comes to dealing these drugs in a locker room. Where he was the guy in his basement somewhere where he was procuring these drugs, cutting them, doing whatever, lacing them with fentanyl, who knows. And I'm not saying that's the case. Supposedly the person that is the... I don't want to say the mastermind, but the one who's the supplier is on the loose somewhere and at large. But for Kay to get that sentence, and I believe come June, he'll get the exact sentence because it's minimum 20 years, but he'll probably end up doing 16, whatever. But what could you say? And that's not to say that he should be exonerated by any stretch of the imagination. And we also understand that Skaggs, he took the drugs. It's not as if K at gunpoint said, hey kid, you better take these drugs or, or else. But man, just a terrible story on all fronts. And what could you say? Yeah, just, ugh. And in the process of that, you had three other angels that were part of this. CJ Crone, Cam Pedrosian, and a one Matt Harvey to where he even admitted using cocaine while he was with the Mets. And you got to wonder whether or not he has seen his last days in a baseball uniform. And I'm not going to get into Harvey's story from start to finish. We all know 
Dark Knight, All-Star Game. We get it. No need to rehash all that, but it's just a sad tale of a guy who literally had the baseball world and pretty much New York City in the palm of his hand and how it literally all slipped away by his own doing. Another cautionary tale of a Met star where the exploits of what took place off the field doomed him to his performance on the field. So I want to start off with the baseball there. Let's get it out of the way. We'll move on to other things. Obviously, I'll continue to keep my fingers on the pulse with this as we hope a baseball season is forthcoming. All right, I'll turn my attention to the NBA as All-Star Weekend concluded last night in Cleveland. And I did not watch a nanosecond of the festivities, both Saturday and Sunday. I was out with family Saturday night. Once in a while, I'll tune in to take a peek at the slam dunk competition. I didn't see it at all. And in fact, all I had to do was go to Twitter to read some of the comments where a lot of people thought, let's just say that this slam dunk competition of 2022 did not take place. That's how bad it was. And I get it, it's unlike slam dunk competitions of years past. You don't have the megastar there, a la Vince Carter, Kobe Bryant, and to go way back, Julius Irving, David Thompson, Dominique Wilkins, and of course Michael Jordan. The competition isn't anywhere close to that. So you're going to have a lot of misses, you're going to have a lot of failed attempts. It's just an eyesore to watch. And thankfully... Even with Obi Toppin of the Knicks winning it, I don't know what dunk sealed the deal for him because I didn't even, forget about watch, but I didn't even go to YouTube or any of the House of Highlights to even witness what had taken place there Saturday night. And then the game yesterday, I know Team Durant versus Team LeBron. Again, I could care less. I know Steph Curry made 16 threes and scored 50 points in the game. All right, good for him. He was your MVP, although he was not the part of the winning team where Team LeBron won and I believe LeBron iced the game with a jumper whether it was at the buzzer or toward the end of the game who knows but I didn't follow it I didn't care to follow because as we all know all-star games they're not like they once were back in the day and some of the buzz that we got coming out of the break and a lot of it leading into it where Anthony Davis got hurt again as he fell on the ankle in the final game there against the Utah Jazz on Rudy Gobert. And minimum four weeks is going to be out. He'll be reevaluated at that time. And as we all know, the Lakers, they're pretty much going to be a carcass this year. They'll make the postseason pretty much by default, but they're not going to go far. Yes, they may win in the playing tournament and they'll be either a seven or eight seed, but they are not going to go deep into this playoff, especially if Davis is going to be out. And as we've seen, they have not been able to click on any type of cylinders at this point. What are they, 27 and 31 at this juncture of the season? Yes, they probably will get to 500 or maybe a smidge over, but they're not going to go deep. And then even with LeBron and his comments over the weekend, how with the game being in Cleveland and of course being a Cav two times in his career, with the young upstart Cavaliers, would it be possible of a return to close out his career and although he did say that he wants to play his final year in the league with his son but how he looks at it is that it could be a possibility and I know I'm paraphrasing here now whether or not his son gets in the league I believe he won't be eligible to 
being the draft until 2024. And LeBron still has another year left on his two-year deal. So after next year, he'll be a free agent. Now that will be the year, I believe, Bronny, LeBron Jr. will be out of high school. But of course, he can't go straight to the NBA. It has to be that year break. So who knows how that's going to play out. But by those comments, you wonder if the Lakers are kind of quivering or shivering in their boots knowing that LeBron could be making his exit after next year. And if you're the Lakers, say goodbye. Maybe not say good riddance, but say goodbye. Let LeBron do whatever he wants. As of right now, his Laker tenure, granted that he didn't win a title in the bubble, what was it, 16, 17 months ago? But LeBron is not a Laker. If he's going to go to Cleveland or anywhere else, I would only hope that he goes back to Cleveland. Chapter 3, close out his career. He'll go off into the sunset. Who knows if his son's going to be in the league. You would think some organization is probably going to sign him as a free agent. I don't know how great he's going to be to be drafted in the first round or even in the second round for that matter. But if that's going to be his wish, I'm sure LeBron's going to broker that until he's blue in the face. And a team may be pressured to sign him for that one year. Who knows? That's down the road. We can't really worry about that. But if you're the Lakers at this stage and you're Rob Palenka and the brass of the Los Angeles Lakers, you certainly have to kind of look ahead to see how and where this team's going to be, not just for the foreseeable future, but certainly for the years down the road. Because without LeBron and Anthony Davis now being injury prone, which he has been throughout his career, you still have $47 million on the books next year for Russell Westbrook, so you can't dump him. And there are no young players that are coming through the pike that is going to save this team. And as we all know, the Lakers, they're a mercenary team throughout their history. They rarely get that one guy, especially over the last 30 years, where they've drafted and has stuck with the team. And yes, sorry, Laker fans, that's the truth. Those are the facts. When you look at it on a whole, whether your name is Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, I understand that was a draft day trade with the Charlotte Hornets. So as much as you want to look at him being a household or a homegrown guy, okay, fine. But whether your name is LeBron or even going back Will Chamberlain or Kareem, I understand that was a trade. Yes, Magic and James Worthy, of course, they were drafted, understood. But we all know that the majority of the Lakers stars have come from elsewhere as opposed to being in-house. That's all I'm trying to say there. So... You wonder what the Lakers are going to do here. The trade deadline is coming on. They're going to have to go with what they have. And I'm sure they're going to try to get healthy at the right time and make that push to at least get themselves as far as they can in the postseason. But based on what happened last year, losing in the first round of Phoenix, and based on what we've seen so far this year, man, the Lakers season can't end any sooner. So that's what we have there just from the Laker front. Also, coming out of All-Star Weekend is Chris Paul and the news that he's going to be on the shelf six to eight weeks with a fractured right thumb. The Suns with the best record in the league at 48-10 and and without his services until quite possibly the opening round of the playoffs because if you look at the calendar, yesterday, seven weeks from yesterday would be the regular season finale. So with the playoffs starting the following weekend, April 16th, 17th, it's quite possible that he may miss that opening weekend. Now, if all goes well, in six weeks, he could play at least those final couple of games uh, 
over that last week heading into the postseason, which I'm sure the Suns, Coach Monty Williams, have their fingers crossed just to get him back in game shape, get him ready, prepped for what you would think for them, a long postseason run and to defend their Western Conference Championship as well as get back to an NBA Final and win it. But without him in the lineup for that extended period of time, and it's not about one seeds. I basically could look at it between them and Golden State. And Golden State right now, I believe, is what? Three or four games back in the... No, in fact, they're actually six and a half and seven in the loss. So they have a big enough cushion. And if home court is important to you, you want to be able to maintain that. Yes, you'd rather have a game seven in your building if it is a Western Conference final. But again, it would be Golden State if it were chalk throughout the NBA postseason. And we all know Golden State could win game sevens on the road. And we've seen that in Western Conference final settings, i.e. Houston, i.e. Oklahoma City. Well, no, that was actually a game six that they won and then they won game seven in their building. But they did win a game seven in Houston not too long ago. So they will not be scared of the spotlight or shaking in their boots being a team that will be a deer in the headlights when it comes to a game seven on the road. Not the case. So if you're the Suns, you're just hoping that Paul could be on the mend. This team's going to be carried now by Devin Booker, which actually may bode well for him to show some leadership, to show a little bit of growth, to know that he's going to be the man on this team once Paul finishes his career at some point. And let's see what the Suns do here over the course of the next third of the season. And when we look at and break down this quote-unquote second half, now mind you, the season won't, restart until Thursday so it's not as if the break is over and then you're going to have games as early as tomorrow night you're going to have to wait till Thursday until we get the season back on track but what we're going to look at here are the threats or the teams that can make some hay and you could look at the Miami Heat and the Bulls as two teams that could be a threat to the Sixers to the Bucks can the Cavaliers take that leap can they be a team that could go deep into a postseason We've seen the Heat do it as they went to an NBA final a couple of years ago, albeit in the bubble. The Bulls, that's a team that is young. Lonzo Ball, you would hope he comes back at some point. Zach Levine, part of the mix. Can the Bulls make their stamp in an Eastern Conference to go as far as maybe a conference final? The Bucks looking to defend their title. Right now, they're currently fifth in the Eastern Conference, but we know that they could be a threat, especially if Giannis is on his game. Then you have the Celtics, the Raptors, the Nets. We all know the Nets are going to be fascinating to see whether or not with things really starting to open up in this country with mask mandates seem to be put in the trash at some point and pretty much look like as we get into the month of March could be a thing of the past. We may have Kyrie playing home games, which is certainly going to be huge for a Net team that could get themselves up in an Eastern Conference. Not that they need to be in the top two or three, but just to get that momentum heading into a postseason where you know it's championship or bust for the Nets and then you have Charlotte who have certainly hit the skids here and the Hawks have been trying to get their footing all year and pretty much when you look at the East you would think it's going to be at least four teams that could get to a final Miami Philadelphia you have to say Milwaukee and you have to say the Nets as long as they're alive and kicking the Celtics I can't say They had won nine in a row. They did lose their final game before the break. But even if things break right for the Celtics, can they go to an NBA final? That's going to be just a tall order for them. Toronto with Nick Nurse. 
they played well, but can you expect them to go far? Right now, they're currently seventh in the Eastern Conference, even with the experience of the coach. And mind you, they don't even have a Kawhi Leonard or Kyle Lowry. That's part of the team that they were you know, a couple of years ago when they won the title. Do you trust the Bulls? You do have some storylines there, which are very good, and I like, because the Eastern Conference, I think, is a little bit more wide open than out West. We've talked about Phoenix and what they're capable of. Obviously, Golden State. Can Memphis be that team to push themselves to a conference final? Portland did it a few years ago, if you remember. Portland went to a conference final, though they got swept by Golden State. That was the year where they lost to the Raptors in the NBA final. But can they make that leap? Can Dallas make the leap? Can a team like Denver, as they've been very good over the last two years, and they were in a conference final two years ago, and I know they've been kind of scuffling here and there, although they went into the break winning three in a row. Utah. You know, you have some teams there out west that you could also look at similar to the east, and although they have a little bit more of a track record than, let's say, the Cavaliers, the Celtics, and I understand the Celtics have been in a conference final three the last five years, and Toronto has gone to an NBA final and won. Not to say that Utah, Denver, Dallas, they're much better than the aforementioned Eastern teams, and even the Bulls got to throw in there. But we know they have an MVP there in Jokic. They have an MVP caliber player in Luka Doncic in Dallas. Of course, Jokic in Denver. Utah's been formidable with the duo of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Memphis, as we all know, they're the team that's on the rise, but can John Morant carry them to a conference final? Who knows? And then you have the bottom rung where the T-Wolves have played well. The Clippers and Lakers, they would face off in a play-in first round, if you can believe that, and that's still without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The Lakers, we talked about their foibles. And then you still have the rest of the conference, which obviously nobody's going to look at Portland or San Antonio. But... At least there's a little bit of intrigue and juice. I get it. We're in the sports dead zone. People are going to have to shift their attention to the NBA that are kind of lost. But this is why I'm delivering this package to you. At the end of the day, it's probably going to be those three to five teams that are going to win an NBA title. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, maybe Miami. I'll throw in a six team. And then the two teams out west. Phoenix, Golden State. Forget about the Lakers. Forget about the Clippers. Forget about Utah, Dallas, Denver, even Memphis. Those are going to probably be the six teams that are going to vie for an NBA championship. But at least there's other teams you can pay attention to that you can look at to see, "Mm, can this team be a threat? Can this team make a leap? Can this team get to a conference final and maybe push these favorites to a seventh game? And could there be an upset in the wings? That's what we're looking at here as we get close to starting this final third or second half of an NBA season. All right, before we move on, let's have some fun here with some over-under numbers because I have not shared these over-under numbers since the beginning of the year. And I know that with the NFL, a little bit past the halfway point and especially right before the final week of the season where I was 6-0 and in the NFL and I had to thank my lucky stars that the Steelers won on the final day of the season to go from 8-9 to as their number was 8.5. And, and then for the Falcons, who went into that final game at 7, and if they would have won, 7.5 was their number, That means I would have lost, but since they lost their final game and with Pittsburgh winning, that's how I accumulated a 6-0 perfect record. The NBA, that's not going to be the case. So with the overs, I have 
The Bulls 41 and a half, Denver 47 and a half, and the Clippers at 44 and a half. And the Bulls are shooing. That's a lock. No ifs, ands, buts about that. As they're currently at 38, but with Denver at 33, they would have to go the rest of the way. And they've already played 58 games. So they have, what, 24 games to go. Yeah, they would have to go for me to get to 47 and a half, 15 and 9. That's not impossible. Denver can do that, but it's pretty much going to come down to those final weeks, barring a long losing streak. And they've already won three in a row into the break, so hopefully they can carry that into the next part of their season. And then the Clippers, at right now they're 30 and 44 and a half. They would need to get Paul George back and Kawhi at some point, and it looks like Kawhi's not going to be back at all. So that's going to be a loss there. So just with the win totals that I have, or my win overs, Right now, I'm looking at 1-1-1, one, one, and one, where it means one is a guarantee win, one is a guarantee loss, and the other one is right in the middle. My unders, Golden State, that was an awful one. I just figured that even with Klay Thompson coming back, I didn't think that they were going to have a big year. I didn't think that they were going to be like they were a few years ago. They're going to win 15 games. But I didn't think they were going to push 48 and a half. They're going to blow past that, so that's one loss. New Orleans, who made the trade from a column at 40 and a half, and New Orleans at this very moment is 23 and 36. So they played 59 games. They would actually have to go now 40 and a half. They have to go 18. That should be a win there. And then the Spurs, they are currently at 23 as well. And their over under number is 29 and a half. They're going to win seven games. So that's one where I'm going to probably go one and two. So I'm praying for three and three, which is terrible because that's 500, but it looks like I may be two and four. Those are my NBA over under numbers to date. Now let me turn my attention to college basketball because over the weekend, we had another outburst from the Michigan coach, Jawan Howard. And we saw this last year, remember with the coach of Maryland where he got into it? And here he is at it again at the end of the Wisconsin game to where Greg Gard, the coach, he got in his face pointing fingers at the time, not knowing about what. And then as the collision, or I should say, as both teams started to merge there at the scorer's table, the assistant coach of Wisconsin then got near Juwan Howard to where Howard swung and connected on the assistant coach. Players, coaches, it was a frantic scene there at the end. Thankfully, cooler heads had prevailed. But what's disturbing is is that here is Juwan Howard again getting into a skirmish with the opposing team's coaches or assistant coach. He's going to get suspended by the conference, which I believe is a minimum two games. But you got to wonder whether or not the AD and the hierarchy at the administration of the University of Michigan, they're going to have to come hard on Juwan Howard at this point. Maybe the rest of the regular season. And as it is right now, they're on the bubble. They are a far cry of the success they had last year where they were one of the top-ranked teams in the nation. A lot of people had them winning the national title. This year, they are paling in comparison to that. And with Howard's behavior at the end of this game, and even though in the postgame he did say that he didn't like the Wisconsin team calling timeouts there in the waning seconds where they were down by double digits. All right, I can understand that. And yes... I get it that when you're pretty much nose-to-nose with the other coach, 
and there are things that are going to be said. Howard with his finger in the coach's face, and he should know better. He should try to back down from that, or at least, all right, you want to be spirited, you want to state your case, fine. You want it to be a thing where you're voicing your frustration, and then now you boil to an anger, okay, but striking an assistant and just setting the example for the kids, for the school, that is just totally uncalled for. And it would serve him right that he sat out the rest of the regular season at least, or maybe even into the Big Ten Championship. And if there is a shot where Michigan does make it into the tournament, maybe you bring him back then. But if you want to make a statement, you would just sit him out the rest of the year. Say, Juwan, we can't have this. Last year, you got into it with the Maryland coach. Now this year, you're going to start swinging at opposing coaches. You can't do that. And it doesn't matter how riled up he gets or how pissed off he was against the opposing coach. You just can't do that. And what does that say to your players? You being the face, the coach, former alum, player, etc. Can't do that. So we'll see how that shakes down for Michigan, but that was just a terrible look there over the weekend. And I get it. You were losing double digits. It's been a long year. It hasn't gone the way you would have liked, but you, you just can't act that way. Then early in the week, you had Coach K leaving the game against Wake Forest where he didn't come out in the second half. A lot of people were wondering what had gone on. He said it was just a bout of exhaustion. And I could see it. This is his final year, as we all know. In fact, the next three games before their final home game against North Carolina are all on the road. Now, granted, he's not going you know, to the Pacific Northwest, but we know the pomp and circumstance and all the hoopla surrounding his last year and giving him his just due, going to these arenas. And Coach K is not the type of guy that is all about the adulation and the admiration and wants all this attention showered upon him that he does not want that and I'm sure maybe that's caught up to him maybe just knowing that this is it getting toward the end of the regular season as they get ready for the conference tournaments and yeah it just got the best of him but he is all right he's doing well and Duke who right now stand ninth in the country where pretty much everything is chalk Gonzaga Auburn Arizona Kentucky Purdue slipped down a few spots because of their loss to the aforementioned Wolverines. Kansas, Baylor, Providence, Duke, and then Villanova round out your top 10. And as I said earlier, three weeks from tomorrow, I understand you got to count the playing games, those two 16s, and then you have the 12s going at it. Four games, both Tuesday and Wednesday, to set themselves up for the Thursday and Friday beginning of March Madness. I understand in the beginning I didn't count those games like ah they're afterthoughts who cares they're going to be sacrificial lambs to the one seeds but now that they have the 12 seeds playing they go up against the five usually get a lot of upsets in that bracket but yeah college basketball now is going to be front and center and I understand not pretty much until the conference tournaments that's when you really start to get the juice that's when you really start to get into it to see who's on the bubble to see who's going to run through the tournament to make a bid at large or just a bid into the tournament you look at Georgetown last year how they won the Big East and they did not have a big regular season as we know but they made it into the tournament by winning the Big East so who's going to be that darling this year who is going to be that Cinderella who's going to be that team that's going to rise above and maybe go up against the Dukes the Villanovas the 
Kansas's, even the champion Baylor Bears. All remains to be seen, but as we now ease into college basketball season and as we get now just a week away into March and certainly the conference championships will be paying full attention to what's going on as March Madness awaits just three weeks away. As for what's happening on the ice, a couple of stories coming out of the NHL this week where the first one being Jack Eichel. I talked about him a lot late in the summer where he had that situation in Buffalo to where he had to get this artificial disc replacement in his neck because of an injury that he suffered last March. And it was a surgery that was so invasive and has been, has never taken place. This was a surgery that has been performed in the past, but not using artificial parts. Now, I don't know the specifics of what it takes to get this type of injury or this type of disc replaced artificially. Maybe I should have done my homework a little bit more. But again, the Sabres balked at this because they didn't want to have a player on the books that had four more years on his contract making big time money and to have something artificially put into his body where it has not been done in the NHL before and then he suffers a big hit and then, God forbid, he's either injured for the rest of his contract or even worse, maimed to the point where he can't even play again. And they decided that they wanted to go their way to get the surgery done the conventional way. But Eichel's camp said, "Uh uh-uh, we don't want that. We want to be dealt somewhere where we know we could get the surgery. We want to go about it our way. We feel that this is going to be the best practice and the best solution for our client. And sure enough, he got traded to the Vegas Golden Knights there a few months ago to where a lot of the reports had him coming back sometime next month. But his prognosis was so quick and recovery sped up so fast that he had participated skating about two and a half weeks ago, minus contact, and then ramped it up to the point to where he debuted as a Golden Knight there on Wednesday. And even though they lost that first game, he actually got shut out. And then the following game did not win, but in San Jose, they did get their first victory with Eichel in uniform and also scored his first goal. To where it makes you think, is Eichel going to be, I don't want to say the missing piece because Vegas has had a good team pretty much since they were inaugurated back in 2017-2018, but if Eichel could be any semblance of the player that he was in Buffalo, what that could mean as far as the balance of competition in the West where Colorado is pretty much running away with the most points in the sport as we speak, although the Florida Panthers are not too far behind. In fact, they're just a point behind Colorado in the President's Trophy race for the most points in the league. But you'd have to think that even with the Golden Knights and with the way they played pretty much this year, very inconsistent, in and out, up and down, to the point where they're now actually in second place. Could you believe this? The hottest team in the NHL belongs to the Calgary Flames. And talk about a team that's had two seasons. They started out of the gate really fast, then with Edmonton as the top two teams out in the Pacific Division, and then they hit the abutment. They hit a just a valley that it looks like they weren't going to be able to get themselves out of. To now, they're at the top of the Pacific, two points ahead of the Golden Knights, and even to the point where Edmonton has bounced back. Remember, they had a coaching change there about 10 days ago or so. And then the Kings and Ducks 
although they've been pretty much hanging around, but they've also slid down in the division, so that Pacific is one to watch, as it's been topsy-turvy, you have five teams that are separated by seven points, and again, with the Kings and even the Ducks being in first place as early as eight or nine days ago, they are now currently fourth and fifth place, where Edmonton's now third, Calgary first, and then even with the Golden Knights having Eichel in the lineup, they are two points behind them in the Pacific. And then the other story this week was Sidney Crosby, who is in the final years of his career. I'm not trying to say it's time for him to retire by any stretch, but he netted his 500th goal earlier this week. And we all know his story, not to get into that from the time that he was 16 years old, being anointed as the next guy. And we know what he's done throughout the course of his career. Now, in the middle of that, he had those concussions and he was out of the lineup for quite some time mainly because of that, but he also had some other ailments which put him on the shelf and curtailed the quest for 500 because he would have gotten it a lot sooner. But be that as it may, one of the all-time great, not only just players in the league, but of course Penguins to go up there with Mario Lemieux as he gets goal number 500. We all know that he's going to easily ice skate into the Hall of Fame. And with him achieving that milestone, 500 to go along with the MVPs and with the Stanley Cup rings that he has, three in total. Kudos to a one the kid as the Penguins, who, although have dropped their last two, but are only two points behind the Carolina Hurricanes in the Metropolitan Division, sandwiched between the Rangers at 69 and then the Caps at 65. We talked about Florida, who has now a five-point lead over the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Atlantic Division. So the Panthers playing very well and same with the Lightning but you have to wonder whether or not when it's all said and done we know that the NHL is the ultimate crapshoot come April, May, and June. So with these teams making up games I know you still have a lot of teams that haven't gotten to 50 games. In fact, when we look at this overall yeah, you do have quite a few teams that have played 52 Penguins, Capitals, Blackhawks which they're not going to be anywhere near the postseason but A lot of teams have played 50 games. You still have a lot of teams that still haven't reached that threshold. The Islanders, as we've talked about, they are five games behind the 50-game mark. But we will certainly now zero in with these fall and winter sports now that we're in the sports dead zone, now that we have to absorb what's taking place here with the NBA and NHL as we try to get through these final few weeks of winter into spring and deliver what's happening in both of these sports as well as college basketball. And as far as the NFL goes, yes, there is some NFL news and notes to discuss here, even with the Super Bowl now long done and the dust has settled on this NFL season. A little bit of surprising news came through the pike over the weekend to where Brian Flores has landed his two feet with another job in the sport. And with everything that has happened here over the last few weeks with Flores and the lawsuit toward the NFL, the discrimination with him not being able to get jobs and the accusations towards the Denver Broncos, the New York Giants, of course, his former boss and one Stephen Ross with the $100,000 to throw games, etc. Well, he has a new address and his address is in Pittsburgh to where he will now be a defensive assistant and linebackers coach where Terrell Austin, the former linebacker coach, was promoted 
two defensive coordinator where Keith Butler, the former defensive coordinator, has now retired. So with all these moving parts and with the position open, and why not Pittsburgh considering that this organization led by Dan Rooney may rest in peace being at the forefront of making changes when it comes to minority candidates getting their just due and their fair share as far as being hired in head coaching or even in coaching positions throughout the sport. Now with Flores, you would think it's like having another head coach in the locker room. He's a guy that is going to, I'm sure, relish this opportunity. He knew that by putting his career on the line, and let's face it, with all those accusations and him suing the NFL, and we all know that the shield is the shield. You you don't penetrate, you don't even take a poke at it let alone try to tear it down the way Flores attempted to do with this lawsuit. But with Flores now back in the league and him trying to get his standing as far as taking this position, which was similar to the one that he had in New England, and now to kind of get his juices flowing again to, you would think, at some point down the road, he may be hired for a head coaching job. I do like to hire on a couple of fronts. One, he's a type of guy who's going to be tenacious. Now, what does that mean for the players? As we saw there in Miami, I don't know if it was a situation where he rubbed players the wrong way or the players tuned him out. Now, remember, he did have two winning seasons, his final two seasons there as coach of the Dolphins. And we all know he's not going to be a head coach here, but you would think the players are going to respond. And of course, with Tomlin at the helm, you would think that this is going to be a marriage made in heaven. So we could take a look at that. But as far as his future goes, you would think this bodes well. As I said, this would only enhance by him taking this job and with this organization to maybe somewhere down the road get that head coaching job that he may covet. And as far as the Shield, I mean, what could they do? I'm sure this is a hire that privately they're seething. They're not happy. They can't tell the Steelers or the Roonies that, hey, why did you hire this guy? They got to stay quiet and stay shut. And this was the probably in all likelihood the best landing spot that Flores could actually get out of all the 32 teams in the sport. So good for him. Let's see how that works out because the Steel defense, although they have the talent in place, but we all know their run defense was awful. And I'm sure with that linebacking core, he has a lot to work with there. And T.J. Watt, the Defensive Player of the Year, and also with the up-and-coming Alex Highsmith, Devin Bush, who needs to respond and rebound from just a lackluster 2021, you would think that the Steeler defense is going to improve based on what they did on the field this past year, which obviously was, ugh, you had to avert your eyes because that was not the Steeler defense that we've come to know and love here over the last, not just two decades, but pretty much the last four decades. So that's the deal with Flores. And college football, for those that were looking for the expansion to happen sometime in the next year or so, you can forget about it. College football is going to rest on their laurels that the 14 playoff is going to be through the 2025 season. So at the earliest, you're going to see it in 2026. I believe they signed, what was it, an 11-year contract from 2015 to now 2025. But remember, 2015 was the first year, so you got to include that as the 11 years total. So for those that were looking to have that 12-team expansion and to have pretty much from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day 
nothing but big bowl games to decide out of the top 12 who's going to make it to the national title game or to have that semifinal to lead to the national championship game. You're not going to have that for at least another four seasons because you still got to go through 2022, 23, 24, 25, and then 26, depending on what they bargain and what they agree with. And you would think that they will start talking about that sometime you would think next year or who knows, maybe they'll be in the early works or the embryonic stages of trying to work out what that 12-team college football playoff system will look like. But you have plenty of time between now and then, so don't bank on having, let's say, the Notre Dames or another school, whether it be an SEC school or another Big Ten, Big 12 ACC school to try to squeeze in there through the back door, even an independent for that matter that you would not expect to be there. They're going to have to sit on it for almost a half a decade before they could be part of the college football playoff mix. And two other quick things. One, the Winter Olympics have come and gone. As I talked about a few weeks ago, I wasn't going to discuss it. And it's nothing against the athletes, nothing against the Olympics itself, but there isn't really much to talk about. I know you could talk about the 15-year-old Russian skater with the doping and her being reinstated and Nathan Chen and how the women's hockey team lost, the USA team lost to Canada and Michaela Schifrin did not do well and U.S. on a whole as far as gold medals. That's your summary right there of the Olympics. I hate to say it. Sean White didn't get a medal, I believe. I I think he came in fourth. That's it. And once the Olympics comes and goes, just like all the other Olympics have passed, it's forgotten. Because I could ask you a month from now, who won the gold in the bobsled? Or who won the pairing in figure skating? All right, you could say Nathan Chen as far as the individual contest, but all this is for naught. No diss, just truth. And then to segue that to auto racing... I know yesterday was the Super Bowl of racing at the Daytona 500 where Austin Sindrick became the second youngest to win the Daytona 500. He held off Bubba Wallace there. And I know NASCAR is huge in certain parts of the country, obviously not in the Northeast where I live. And I do mention it because we understand the Daytona 500 is huge. It's enormous. It's even bigger than the Indy 500, which I'll disagree with because as I've talked about, especially as we get into late May, to me, that was almost like the beginning of summer when you had that Sunday before Memorial Day, the Indianapolis 500 set to go there 12 noon in the Indianapolis Speedway there to pretty much get your summer started. But NASCAR, I'm sorry. Have you heard me talk about NASCAR in the past? Have I delved into that? I have not. And I make a mention of it, people. I can't say I watched highlights or certainly sat for a couple hours to see what was going to happen there at the Daytona 500, but Cindric was your winner. I understand the team that he represented was on the birthday of that particular racer or the head of that team. I believe he turned 85. You know, I'll even pull up the name for you. How about that, people, as I discuss this? But I'm sorry. I'm not going to be the guy who's going to dissect and break down what took place at the Daytona 500. Yes, the team owner, Roger Penske, was his 85th birthday and Cindric holding off Bubba Wallace at 23 years of age to win the Daytona 500. And congratulations to him. And who was the youngest to win 
The Daytona 500 was a one Trevor Bain 20 years in a day when he won it in 2011. So there's your racing people. Let me get to my hero and zero of the week to close us out here. My hero of the week goes to Ryan Zimmerman, the longtime Washington National, played 16 years in the major leagues. He is Mr. National. And a guy that was actually drafted by the Montreal Expos, if you remember. But when the Nationals moved in 2005 down to the nation's capital, and then he was brought up in 2006 as his first year in the league, and then had a long career, was a third baseman, then transferred over to first base because of shoulder issues, did win a World Series back in 2019, the first one in the history of the franchise. So Ryan Zimmerman, who beat the Mets' brains in year after year after year over the course of his career, goes off into the sunset as he retires. So Ryan, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, I hate to put it on this guy, but it's going to go to Phil Mickelson. Why, you may ask? Well, you would think that he's probably going to follow the lead of Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau as they're not going to ditch the PGA Tour to be a part of this Saudi league, which, if you want to compare, is like the XFL to the NFL. It's this fledgling second-rate league that's going to take place in Saudi Arabia and it's supposed to net Phil Mickelson in upwards of $250 million. As if he needs more money? Now, people could say, come on, Jay Reels, he's going to make a boatload of money. Why not? He's alive. Let him live. He could do what he wants. All right, I understand that. But the guy's already worth a zillion dollars and he's going to play golf halfway around the world in a place where they excoriate women, gays, various groups, rights, etc. And all for what, $250 million? I mean, that's a disgrace. It's the rich getting richer. And I'm not trying to say he has to be Mr. Ethical and the, as I like to say, be the head of the morality police, but how much is enough? The guy has sponsorships up the wazoo. He's earned zillions of dollars just on the golf course. And now, because the Saudi league is going to throw $250 million right in his bank account, that, all right, fine, I'm out, PGA, see you later. Now, I'm sure he's going to change his mind, and I'm sure they're probably getting in Phil's ear to say, listen, Phil, maybe you need to chill out with this and come back home and just be a part of the PGA. But as of right this second, Phil, you should have used better judgment. Sorry, my guy, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it. Episode 239 just about in the books. But of course, some housekeeping before I bid adieu. I thank you, guys and gals, each and every week, first and foremost, for taking the time out to listen to what it is I have to say with all the sources and all the outlets out there, which I'm sure you get your sports from. But just knowing that you stop by, pass by to give me a listen goes without saying how much I appreciate that. Your support, your love, everything. It's certainly not taken for granted. And just a reminder, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. It's going to go large as far as the sports, or I should say the podcast landscape when it comes to sports. Because as I try to move up the ranks, if you just even take a screenshot, put it on your social media, send it to me, share it with your friends, it'll go a long way in increasing the visibility of this podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. So thank you for that. If you want to hit me up, with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the following on my social media accounts. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, 
J Reels One, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to hit me up. I'll be more than happy to respond to ASAP. And finally, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth. Not only would I sincerely and gratefully appreciate it, but it will go 100% to the upkeep of the website, this production, the equipment, what you hear on a week-in, week-out basis, and pretty soon it's going to be twice a week, and that's going to be in the weeks to come, so you definitely want to stay tuned for that. And also, an anniversary, the 4th, which will be next week. In order to continue to do this, whatever you want to put forth, I would greatly appreciate it. So, if you don't know... Or, of course, if you've been back several times, you do know this is what I love to talk about, people. Sports is in my blood. It's in my DNA pretty much since birth. Sharing my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, criticism on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.